0: Thank you to the worship team for leading us in song. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 29. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter like I'd intended in your bulletin. We're going to spare you and save that for another sermon. Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 9 down through verse 29. This is where the power is that we just sang about. The power is here because this is the word of God. Mark 9 verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mutant, deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. May God, it is blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, we recognize the power of your word, its testimony to us. And that Holy Father, Your Son, Jesus Christ, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, is still able to do all things. And Father, we thank You for Your Word and that we can pray to You and we can appeal to You and we appeal to You even now as we have heard this Word. We appeal to You to act even for our congregation. We pray for those who are sick and suffering, those who have had medical problems we pray for Calvin Heinrichs and his recovery we ask Lord that you would uh, give him much grace and healing that you would restore him to health we pray for his doctors that you would give them wisdom we pray that through that means you would be glorified we pray as well even as we think of Calvin and Rita and their ministry at Young's Farm and all the many volunteers that were there, we still pray that as these children that were at Young's Farm are back at their homes, we pray that they would not forget the word that they've been taught and we pray that that word would take root and bear fruit and we pray that we would hear reports maybe soon, in a month or two, or maybe in many years from now, we would hear reports of the fruit of that ministry of the gospel being shared with those children and that many would be saved. Lord, as many here, many parents are thinking about back to school, we pray that you would help them as they prepare to equip their kids to be back in their studies. We pray for those that are homeschooling and at Christian schools and at public schools. Lord, we pray that wherever the children are being trained, we ask, Lord, that you would protect them from the schemes of the enemy and that they would be equipped to have the fear of you and they would know you. We pray especially for teachers, Christian teachers, even from our own church, as they begin their work uh, and parents as they begin their work of training. For Christian teachers, help them to honor Christ in the classroom. And for parents, help them to seek to honor you in what they teach and that they would They would be faithful in raising up their children. Lord, this week in this city is a celebration of uh, what is deemed to be a virtue, but what is not. Namely, the, the name is pride and all that it represents, Lord. We ask your forgiveness for being even the ways that we are desensitized to this wickedness. We pray, Lord, for the many people this week who are participants in this Pride Week. We, we pray for many people who have suffered sexual trauma, who have suffered abuse, who have been victimized by, in different ways uh, by sexual immorality. We pray for them that they would have hope and healing not by marching in a parade, but by coming and finding hope and healing at the foot of the cross, that they would turn from their sins, they would bring all of their hurts and trauma, and they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can save them. We pray as well that there would be repentance among all those promoters of wickedness, of sin against God's design, sin against God's law, sin against the dignity of human beings created in the image of God. We pray that instead of highlighting pride as a virtue, there would be a great repentance before you and a confession of the sin of pride. We pray that there would be hope and healing and forgiveness of sin to be known by by many, even this week, who have listened to the lies of the enemy and who have trusted in themselves rather than trusted in God. We pray for our Leaders in government. We pray for Prime Minister Trudeau and for our Premier Daniel Smith and for our Mayor Jody Gondek. And we pray for them all. We pray that that they would give up their pride, that they would stop their resistance to you and that they would humble themselves and repent and flee to Jesus for refuge and for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, we know you're able to do this. We pray that they would stop their stubbornness and that they would turn to you in true living faith. But, Lord, forgive us for not believing that it's possible. And, Lord, as we know your power goes forth on this Lord's Day morning, we thank you that Grace Cochran Church is worshiping this morning. We pray for Pastor Rob Snyder as he shares the word out there. We pray for uh, Senior Pastor Josh Carey, as this is his last Sunday with us, as he goes out to take up his charge next Sunday. We pray for that church, protect them, comfort them, comfort them in the midst of their own trials, and we pray that they would be a beacon of gospel light in that community. Lord, now as we look at your word and as we are tested and confronted and actually exhorted and offered great and deep hope through your word. We pray that you would meet us with power this morning, not for its own sake, but that your power would transform us and give us faith to believe in you, in you as you really are, the true and triune God. Do this, Father, in the power of your Spirit, for the glory of your own Son's name and it is in his name that we pray amen you may be seated how does a generation lose faith how how do we go in canada for example how do we go from being a generation defined by God's dominion from sea to sea, derived from Psalm 72, verse 8, to a generation that criminalizes attempts to apply God's law regarding binary sexuality and the purity of male and female sex differences. I think in Canada, this is a very relevant question. We are, I believe, a a very faithless country. To believe in the God of the Bible is, is now out of step with our culture. We are in what the commentator Aaron Wren has called the negative world. It is a net negative to be a Christian today. And if you're confused about that, you can go over, go over to the Bridgeland community center after church and go see what they think about you going to church here this morning wren made this comment he said before 1994 society western society retained a mostly positive view of christianity between 1994 and 2014 society switched to having a neutral view of christianity so Christianity is no longer no longer had a privileged status, but it wasn't disfavored. But since since two thousand and fourteen, we are in a negative world where being known as a Christian is a social negative. You know what used to be the picture of Christians? You know a while ago. You know it was uh, that cartoon character. You know Ned Flanders. Right? The Simpsons, you know, this goofy guy. You know, harmless, you know, object of mockery. You could, you know, poke fun at him, but not, not really a very sinister character. Positive, maybe, but at, at worst, uh, just neutral. You know, tease him. You know, if you've been called Ned Flanders, you know what I mean. I've been called Ned Flanders. But now... Now you don't get Ned Flanders. Now you're called a Christian nationalist and that being defined as both being a racist and a fascist. It's a moral evil viewed in society's eyes. It's a moral evil to be a Christian today. Now there are a number of things in this passage that we read, a number of things going on in Mark chapter 9 that followed after the transfiguration of Jesus where he appeared to Peter, James, and John. He appeared to them on that mountain. There's a number of things going on and they're all going to come together as we understand that Jesus is confronting a faithless generation. So, You might not like to be characterized as faithless. Maybe you're here today, you're believing in Jesus Christ. But I want to encourage you to consider the immaturity and weakness of your faith and of my faith. I include myself in this too. And it is in the hopes that the Lord would make us a faithful people, make us full of faith because we are fully resting on Christ. And so the rest, this section, and actually the rest of Mark chapter 9, I think is especially relevant to us in this church, in this day, in this week. And so my first thing I want us to see here in verses 9 through 13 is a question that I will put to us, namely, what time is it? What time is it? After the transfiguration in Mark 9, when the voice from heaven said to the leading disciples that they needed to listen to Jesus exclusively, Jesus had to explain himself further. He needed to explain how this big change was occurring. He needed his followers to be clear about what time is it. So he said in verse 12, He said, Elijah does come first to restore all things, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should what? He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Well, this is, Jesus is referring, first of all, when he's talking about Elijah, he's referring to a prophecy. The prophecy was in the last prophetic book in your Bibles, In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 4, where it was anticipated that Elijah would come. Now, Elijah did come according to Jesus. Elijah was, he came in the guise of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had Elijah's ministry. So prophecy was being fulfilled. You know, you Still today, there's all these prophetic conferences and stuff, and everybody's thinking about you know future prophecy to be fulfilled. But a lot of us don't think about the fact that so much prophecy has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled, and that's what Jesus is highlighting here. Prophecy has been fulfilled. It was a time of epic changes. Were the disciples catching this? Did they see that God was at work? Were they aware of the changes? Did they know what time it was? And so then the point of this sermon, the point of the rest of this passage, is that the disciples, the disciples themselves, along with all the other people, were actually quite weak in faith. They weren't attentive to the Lord. They weren't attentive to Him because they had their faith directed in the wrong direction or they were misunderstanding the object of their faith jesus the son of man and that's why it was difficult for them to fathom the idea that jesus would suffer verse 12 suffer many things and be treated with contempt that didn't fit with their paradigm it didn't fit with the way they thought the Messiah would come. And it was actually showing, the, this is a new era. This is something new and distinct. And this Son of Man will suffer. Now, i got to ask you, just by way of opening and applying as we go here, do you know what time it is? And don't tell me it's getting near to lunchtime. I know that's what your stomach is saying, that clock inside your stomach. You know, uh, do, do you know what time it is? I've come to start calling this era that we're in the late Western Empire. Because we live in this empire, this global empire that is Western, dominated by the U.S. most of all. But it's in its late stages, it seems. We're, we're mimicking the Roman Empire's slow decline. And so that's why we can't amuse ourselves into thinking that everything's okay. I know we have all this wonderful technology and, you know, we're fed so well and we're entertained more than we would ever need. And and yet, the moral declension here is so bad. It is so stark. I think we're still quite puzzled by it. And the result is some of us, as we see this decline of this late Western empire, we we have despair. You've maybe come to church this morning with despair, but we shouldn't despair as if we have no hope. We need to believe that Jesus' resurrection is true and that we can trust him. We can trust him. We can trust even verse 9. He said He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus knew He would rise from the dead. Do we believe in the power of the resurrection? If we do, there is always hope. Now in Mark 9, Jesus was pressing the point. He wanted them to understand that there is a hinge of history happening. Elijah had come prophecy was being fulfilled and now the Son of Man was going to be treated with contempt. He's going to suffer but He's going to rise. And He wanted the people to wake up and see what time it was. That's what Jesus wants. He wants them, He wants you and me to know what time it is now. What is this age of Christ's kingdom? What is this age? Presence of the future kingdom that is broken into, it's the presence of the future, the future kingdom of Christ breaking into the now. We think Jesus is reigning, but you think, well, he's going to reign in heaven. No, his rule and reign is broken into the present, and do we believe it? So the question is, for you and I as we begin, is do you know what time it is? But secondly, in verses 14 and following, you have these features of a faithless generation. Maybe you and I are slow to see what time it is, because even though we believe in Jesus Christ, you and I are influenced by a faithless generation. We're influenced far more than we'd like to admit. And I'll tell you how I know you're influenced by it and I'm influenced by it. Because when I pray in my pastoral prayer about things related to Pride Week, you get a little worried. And when I say it, I get a little worried, right? But that's because I'm influenced. Because I actually, I'm I'm lacking faith, and it's easy to fear. It was the same problem, this problem of faithlessness that Israel had, And Jesus was determined to expose it here. That's what this section of Scripture is. It's Jesus exposing the unbelief of Israel. He had this opportunity to expose this faithlessness when he was presented with this demon-possessed son. Now, you can can imagine then the, the feelings this dad had. You know, he, he's concerned about his son. He's concerned and he come to the disciples to get help, but they couldn't cast out the demon. And and it's interesting that through all of that, and we have this description of all of all of the trauma that this boy was going through. Through all of that, he finally then comes to Jesus. You know, teacher, verse 17. I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and then describes what seems like a a kind of an epilepsy or something, some type of we would probably give it some type of medical description, but this is ascribed not to a medical condition, but to an unclean spirit. And he had asked the disciples to cast it out at the end of verse 18, and they were not able. Now, here's this traumatized dad. Here's this boy that's just horribly traumatized. And how does Jesus respond? What is Jesus' chief concern? What does he say then in verse 9? He actually is very confrontational. He's confrontational, Jesus is at that point. He answered them, "'O faithless generation!' How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, question. Was Jesus condemning the disciples or condemning the Father? who's Who's he going at? The point is that they were not trusting in Christ exclusively. The the Son of Man, He had shown what He can do. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark. We see He can cast out demons. He can perform powerful miracles. He can do all these things. They knew what the Son of Man could do, but they were not trusting in Him fully. So the Son says, not, not the dad's Son, but the Son of God, The Son of Man. He says, How long am I to bear with you? Now, if you hear that phrase, if you know the Bible, it should ring in your ears a little bit. And it's the same thing that the Son had said to rebellious Israel way back in Numbers chapter 14, verse 27, and similar passages. He said, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? How long should I bear with them? You know there's always this tension and tugging back and forth between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Israel in their unbelief in the wilderness. And, and Jesus is saying the same thing to these Israelites here? Jesus then, he proceeded to ask this question of the father. Even as this unclean spirit is contorting this poor boy, clearly this unclean spirit wanted to destroy the boy. And the father said to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's not overly convinced. He's not. He's not really sure about Jesus, or what Jesus can do, or whether Jesus is willing. He's not sure at all. And that's actually the climax of the episode. It's the if. It's the if. Do you see it there? It's the if. If you can. If you can do anything. He says, verse 22, if you can do anything. This if is the expression of skepticism. And I know you don't like to think of yourself as a skeptic. But I can guarantee if you've been anxious this week, if you've been stressed, if you've been worrying about stuff, You've been thinking, you know, So go through the list in your own mind of the things that have bothered you. And at those points, you've wondered about that if. You've been a little bit skeptical. The if is the expression of a low view of Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. And, and we all suffer from it. And you know how this happens. And you see it with this dad. This father was so dominated by the plight of his troubled son that he was blind to the power of the incarnate son. And that's how you are, and that's how I am. The stuff, the troubles, the things that are bothering you, the things that are in front of you, the things that are keeping you up at night, that stuff is so dominant that you fail to see who is Jesus. What time is it? Has this Christ really come? And because then we don't see Him for who He is, we say, well, if, 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 if you're able to. I don't know if you are. Not sure. Not really sure at all. Jesus exposes the unbelief, and this is how we, we know what was being said by this man, by this dad. Jesus said, look at verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can, if you can, <laughs> if you can. And, and you could just see, you know, in your mind's eye, you know, there's that, that kind of bubble over Jesus' head with the text message, and it's, you know, SMH, shake my head. That's for the kids. I mean, if you don't know what SMH is, I can't help you. Shake my head. If you can. And then it's, kind of, then it's as if, don't you know? Don't you know all things are possible for one who believes? Because Jesus is God. Don't you know? Shake my head. This is the very point he was making. How long? How long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? Don't you get it yet? Now Jesus went ahead in verse 25 and he rebuked the unclean spirit and in doing that, it basically left the boy for dead because we're told he was like a corpse and everybody thought he was dead. And Jesus very tenderly lifted the boy up and he arose from the dead. Just like that. From the dead. Did the dad have that on his radar? He's looking for some type of solution so that his son would merely stop being, you know, stop throwing himself into the fire. Or just stop being, maybe, maybe be able to utter a few words. He's got such low sights of hope for his son. Can't imagine all the possibilities of all that God could do. All things are possible for him who believes. It's not a health and wealth statement. It's a a view of the power of God. And it's interesting. I've been thinking about this lately and as we were singing, just the hymns had... Had actually a common theme of speaking of the power of God. I think that that for us is actually where we're suffering a lot of unbelief. Is we just don't think God is that powerful. We think our phones are powerful. We think the World Economic Forum is powerful. We think, you know, everybody else and everything else and all the structures are powerful. But we actually don't think God's very powerful. We don't think God's able to turn this thing on a dime. We, don't, we actually don't believe it. And I know, I know you suffer from the unbelief because I suffer from it too. We've got such low views of God. The disciples couldn't figure it out. The disciples had that temporary power. But they still hadn't been given the Holy Spirit without measure at Pentecost in that distinctive way. And they were still, you know, they're casting demons out in Jesus' name, but but they still maybe didn't really understand that it's not about them having some healing, exercising power. It's about Jesus being God. And they're they're still not there. And what, even though the disciples couldn't figure it out, Jesus clarified that focused faith in him was required. In other words, Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And that right there, and you know and I know, our prayerlessness indicates our lack of faith it's it's just a, it's a, it's just the barometer and it's not saying oh well grit your teeth and pray more it's about your view of god it's not about heaping up empty phrases It's about one's view of God. If you have a low view of God, you're not going to trust that God and if you're not going to trust that God, you're not going to bother asking that God anything. That's the chain. If you have a high view of God, then you're going to trust Him and then you're going to speak to Him and appeal to Him because who knows? Who knows what He might do? You've got this, this... Bubbling optimism about what God could do because you see that all things are possible to him who believes. Because all things are possible with God. So our prayerlessness indicates our lack of faith. And that's full stop. That applies to me. That applies to you. You know, it's interesting when you see the news and responses to any kind of tragedy, what do the Christians do? The Christians say, well, we're, gonna, we're praying for those people. We're, we're praying for people in Kelowna. We're praying for people in Maui. We're praying for people in Northwest Territories. We're praying for people in tragedy. And then others say, your prayers don't, don't do anything. Offer some real help. Right? You get that response more and more. Don't just pray. You've got to do something. But as James said, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Because true prayer has faith resting in the right place, or should I say on the right one, on Jesus himself. And I know for a lot of you, like all these things, you know these things. This is not new to you, but I can guarantee, I can guarantee how you live, how you live, you need the reminder, just like I do. In Canada, we've been able to, we, we've, we've kind of, the, the problem when we think of this faithless generation is, is that we've never been able to get biblical faith well-grounded in good churches in Canada. There's been seasons of growth. The spread of Methodism in the 1800s created most of the United Churches that are here today. But they used to be good. They're no good anymore. The Bible college movement with William Aberhart and Ellie Maxwell, that was a season of growth. But the Bible colleges are all going off the rails. The influence of biblical faith on politics, With the successor to Eberhard, Ernest Manning, you had that applied and that was a good season, but it's all gone. And even the rise of the big box churches after World War II and again in the 70s, season of growth. But now they're all going by the wayside. None of it's been well grounded. You can have the success of a, a place like a Miller College today, but they're just small And yet there's handfuls and handfuls of compromised schools. For every church plant, a church plant out in Cochrane that preaches the gospel, for every one of those, there's numbers of churches that are promoting heresy, rank heresy. Society has abandoned the many Christian virtues that are hard to get in favor of one virtue that's easy to get. And that one virtue is expressive individualism. It's the only virtue you need. You just need to have self-expression. That's all you got to do. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be true. You don't have to be beautiful. You don't have to pursue any of those things. you just got to express yourself. It's the only virtue, and it's easy. The Pride Week is a case in point. It's the epitome of self-expression. It's an easy virtue in our society, and that's why our society supports it. And the only heresy, of course, is to deny yourself or to say that God condemns your self-expression. But I'm going to tell you, politics isn't going to solve this faithless generation. We can pray for political change. It's a spiritual problem. And I will just say this before I move on to my third point. How can the unclean spirit in this society, how can it be driven out? Jesus' answer from this passage is, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And I just don't even know if you believe that or if I believe that because we think we're looking for some other solution. But this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. It's not all confrontation in this passage as I come to my third point which is, which is such a key here because the Father states the heart of the matter for each of us. Mark records it for us and it offers you and I hope. It offers us hope when we've been acting in a faithless way as you've done and as I've done, as we've confessed our faithlessness to God. It is the faithful cry of the faithless one and it is in verse 24. The father says, this dad says, I believe. Help my unbelief i believe help my unbelief and and this father he's expressing that that critical self-realization that we all need it's that self-realization that we practically when we're when we're in sin we practically don't believe that God exists and we practically don't think he's powerful and we practically don't think he's good and we practically don't think that he cares. Even though in your brain, in the other part of your brain, you know, oh yes, he's good, true, he's, he's faithful, he's all those things. But you forget all those things. When you're sinning, you practically forget God for a bit. That's what you're doing when you sin. You can't sin and be attentively conscious of the true God at the same time. You can't do it. Israel's sin was always the sin of forgetting God. You say, oh, well, it's idolatry. Well, yeah, that's the big one. But actually, they forgot God first. And when they forgot God, then they worshipped idols. Deuteronomy 8.11, take care lest you forget The Lord your God. You see, unbelief is not neutrality. We're not not trying to appeal to all these neutral people who are unbelieving. Unbelief is sin. Unbelief is sin. And unbelief in the face of Christ's goodness and his power and his love, it's nuts. It's crazy. It's foolish. But this father was so tore up by his son's epileptic seizures that he couldn't lift his eyes to see who is there. This dad was forgetting all that Jesus is and all that he does, just like you do and just like I do. But this dad, he admits it. He admits it. And he looks to Jesus anyways, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. And friends, that can be your prayer today, and it ought to be. Whether you're worried about your health, or about your family, or about your city, or about your nation. You might be worried about finances, or job security, or your marriage prospects, or your, your marriage itself, or hoping for a child. Whatever it is. You probably right now are struggling to believe that the Son of Man is really capable of anything. Then you've got to say, I believe, help my unbelief. I just want to apply this then in three ways to close out. The first is this: it's just asking ourselves again, are we now a faithless generation? There is, among scholars, something called the secularization thesis. The secularization thesis. And it basically goes like this. As people get more technology and become more modern, they get more secular. So there's just lots of, lots of scholars, lots of people have argued this. And you can imagine, you, you know, you've got this phone and you can do all this stuff with this phone. You don't need God. Look at the power of this thing. What do you need God for? So it seems to make sense. Now, if in that view, we've got all this tech, so then we're more secular. So it seems we'd be in a faithless generation. But it's actually not in the way that you would think. We're not getting more secular. Secularism can't remain. People are created to be religious. So they can't stop worshiping. They must worship. They must worship something or someone. But our age, because it denies God, our age worships the self. That's why we would have a a civic festival celebrating the self. Celebrating pride. Did you make that connection? Self, pride. And it's leading people into cultish madness. Gender dysphoria, deep anxieties, legalisms, rituals, all kinds of mad, crazy stuff. We're in a faithless generation, but it isn't the absence of faith. It is a misdirected faith. It is a wicked faith in the wicked heart of mankind, the corrupt heart of mankind. That's what the faith is in. So it's, we're not secular. We're religious around here, around this, this country, this city. Everybody's religious. They say they're not, but they're worshiping themselves. So that should clarify for you, who is this faithless generation we're in? That's the first thing to recognize. Secondly, the church today is not A spiritually strong generation i think i think this is a wonderful church i mean i was so encouraged so encouraged to see all the people responding on ccb when calvin heinrichs is in the hospital like just it's a small thing but there's just tons of examples of that kind of stuff just people care they're interested they're looking out for each other like that's that's so amazing and yet and yet I, as good as this church is, I think we're all not as spiritually strong as we think we are. Just, just ask yourself, your thoughts, my thoughts about Jesus Christ, they tend to be slim and few, right? Just, just by pure quantity. They're, they're slim, they're not that deep, and there's not that many of them. There's lots of thoughts about everything else. We've spent 50 years in the church, churches generally. We've spent 50 years in churches entertaining people to convince them that Jesus is worth their precious time. Now people are ditching Jesus to conform to the new secular religion or they're ditching the Jesus of the Bible to pursue state power and the hope of force. But we really need to renew our understanding of Jesus, the Son of Man, who can rebuke the unclean spirit of this generation and cast it out. He can do it in a moment. And so we have to admit that we're not a spiritually strong generation. But third, to reiterate the point, we confess, we believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. We're not without hope. We're not without hope. Don't be discouraged. There are so many discouraging things out there, but Christ is not one of them. You ought not to be disappointed with God. Do not be disappointed with Him. Don't be discouraged by God. He is not discouraging. So long as Christ is Lord, we can have hope. You can have hope for your loved ones. You can have Hope for your own life. You can have hope for this city, this nation. You can have hope because Christ is risen from the dead. We all struggle. We all are anxious in various ways. We all panic. We all get tired of trusting. And we start looking for cheap substitutes. So we just have to simply confess. We believe Help our unbelief. And just think about it, friends. Have you been honest with God lately? Have you been honest with God? If you haven't, and if you weren't honest in the liturgy as we try to be honest with God before every every sermon, every service, then you need to confess your unbelief to God and ask Him to grant you the gift of faith. That you would believe. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would change our perspective on what's going on at this time and that we would have a renewed hope in your capacity to change things for your glory in your time, in your way, Help us to believe in you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand as we respond in worship in true hope of the true God. Please rise. As we consider finishing that race in true faith, Jesus gives us these words in Revelation 21 saying, It is done. their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Friends, we go forward in faith, faith in the true and living God. I pray that you would be believing in Him today. Go in peace. You're dismissed.